0: There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Welcome to episode one forty-three. Today we have Michael Palmer. He's the CEO of MVP School of Sports. Michael Vincent Palmer is a native of Oconee County, Georgia, and presently resides with his wife Jennifer and daughters Mary Grace, Madeline, Kate, and son Noah in Bogart, Georgia. Two thousand twenty marks the fifteenth year for Coach Palmer as CEO of MVP School of Sports. Coach Palmer graduated from Piedmont College where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in Educational Studies. He also holds an Associate's Degree from North Georgia University in Sports Management. He is a basketball coach with over 25 years experience coaching in Northeast Georgia. Coach Palmer specializes in defense and transition as well as other essential fundamentals of the game. He is a founder and president of Northeast Georgia Feeder League as well as MVP School of Basketball Camps for both boys and girls. Coach Palmer also founded the Atlanta Cagers East Travel Basketball Program, MVP Youth Football League, and the Leap Basketball Academy, as well as the Drew League and training for tryouts. He just completed his 15th season as a Prince Avenue Middle School girls basketball coach with a 23-1 season. He served two years as an assistant varsity basketball coach at Prince Avenue also served four seasons as varsity soccer coach and going into a sixth season as a Prince Avenue Christian School varsity cross-country coach. 2014-2016, to 2016, the Prince Avenue Christian Girls Middle School Program went 59-0 over a three-year period. Coach Palmer led the middle school program to the first Athens Area Middle School League Championship in 2007, as well as back-to-back-to-back. Championships in 2013, 2014, 2015. He has also officiated varsity football for Georgia High School Association for almost 20 years, as well as varsity basketball for seven years. Coach Palmer graduated from Oconee County High School in 1996. Coaches, I'm really excited to talk to Coach Palmer. Uh, he's, I've known uh, Coach for a while, and I tell you, he's one of the... Um, One thing I really love him for is really kind of an expert on developing the youth basketball development here in our area. And he does a tremendous job. You're going to really kind of get a lot of great ideas on how he's working um, with the youth in his area on developing just better attitudes, better skill, um, really just a great ideas on how you can apply his concepts to your program because I don't think there's enough great youth coaches uh in our country. I think Mike's gonna really share his insights and his ideas so you can take to your program. So let's welcome Coach Michael Palmer. Hey
1: coach Good morning, how's it going?
0: Good Mike, how's it going out?
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, I can hear you great.
0: Great, great, excellent man. Welcome to the podcast, man. I know, uh, <clears throat> I know you're uh, one of our loyal listeners, man. So it's just a treat to have you on. So thanks for joining us,
1: man. You've got some of the best coaches and some of the best information. Uh, it's one of the best ways for coaches to really get information, uh, YouTube and podcast, and so uh, try to use those tools as much as possible but man you have such a diverse uh I love just listening to the coaches who are you know spread out all over the country coaching boys and girls and you know how they're doing things that are successful or they're not doing things that uh you know I may be doing that uh, I want to change so uh, it's just certainly an honor to be on here
0: uh I'm looking yeah. forward to it yeah well Mike, I appreciate you joining us, man, because I know uh I tell you a couple of reasons why I wanted to get you on. I think you're I think you're an expert on youth development. Not only are you a great PE teacher, man, because I, I'm a K5 PE teacher. So I'm I'm gonna pick your brain on what you're doing, but um just your ability to kind of um teach you know, lower school, middle school, the game, uh, the skills of the game and to do it the right way. I don't think there's enough great teachers at your level around the country. I think it's kind of neglected. There's a lot of leagues and so forth. So I really want to pick your brain on what you're doing in youth development because I think that's, that's one of your great expertise.
1: Uh, it's certainly got to be a labor of love, uh, <laughs> especially, especially when you talk about uh, lower school PE because – no two days are the same, everything, uh, every day right. is a it, you know, teaching it yourself every day is a different day. It's not like, uh, and I don't want to necessarily diminish or downplay any other subject, but, you know, I think a lot of classroom subjects, sometimes the days can kind of look the same. Maybe your teacher sure. content that is, uh, you know, you're going over something for a test, you know, a lot of those days are going to look the same or, uh, you know, PE, in the lower school level, you talking K through five, it, no, no day ever looks the same. And uh, I think that's kind of why I love it so much. It's just an ever, ever changing thing. You know, you don't show up and say, well, we're going to do this again. I mean, nothing, nothing is ever the same. And uh, it's ironic. When I got into uh, wanting to be a PE teacher, it, it was really, more because coaching was involved and in, in coaching is kind of married to PE teaching. Uh, but now, actually, it, it for me, I love the PE teaching more than the coaching. I mean, I feel like I have, the, so true. I have, have the greatest job in the world, man. I mean, it's just uh, especially those younger kids because their personalities aren't developed. I mean, they have personalities, but, you know, they they're not developed like they are uh, when you see them later on in high school, you know, they're kind of uh, who they're going to be. But uh, at a young age, man, it's just uh, – it, I don't feel like I work. I know there's a saying, you know, if you have a job <laughs> you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's kind of uh, what I feel like uh, my life is like.
0: Yeah, so true. Those are those are great words, Coach. And I, I, um, I want you to tell us about you, about how you grow grew up in the game and how you just grew up in sports uh, in your area. I know you went to Oconee high school. I think that's correct. And just tell us about your journey through sports and your youth and how that has carried over to what you're doing right now.
1: It's probably not. My story is probably not listening to most of the people that uh, you've interviewed. I, I think mine kind of is diverse and goes away from uh, everybody else's. I grew up uh, my real dad wasn't in the home. Uh, had a, my mom remarried. I had a really good stepdad. He, now he worked a lot. I mean, got up at seven in the morning, worked, uh, till seven at night. Uh, my mom was a hard worker. So I didn't really have the story that, uh, a lot of people have, but I was fortunate, uh, felt like God put a lot of great male role models in my life. And, uh, I didn't get the opportunity to necessarily play a lot of youth sports coming up. I, I played in our, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a neighborhood in Oconee called Fieldstone that's, uh, man, we just had a, t- it's not like nowadays when you drive through a neighborhood and everybody's inside playing on, you know, iPads <laughs> or Fortnite or whatever. It's, back in those days you drove through our neighborhood man we had basketball going on tackle football kill the man with the ball i mean we had all these games we played sure. kick, kick the cans wiffle ball i mean it, i'm a basketball guy but i used to love wiffle ball man i just uh i wish <laughs> i wish god would have told me like the last day i was gonna play hey this is gonna be the last time you're gonna play wiffle ball i mean because that that's just uh that, that's my game right there but uh Anyway, in eighth grade, I met a basketball coach named uh, Dr. Dennis Clark, who, uh, you know, I didn't really have a lot of confidence because a lot of kids, you know, they're outside throwing with their dad in the neighborhood and, and, uh, you know, they're kind of getting development through that and playing, you know, youth sports from six years old all the way up. And uh, the first time I played a organized youth sport was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I didn't you know, I was kind of tall and awkward. And, uh, but I just kind of fell in love with the way Dr. Clark treated me. You know, he's like, Hey, you know, you don't have to score a lot of points in this game to be an integral part. If you block shots, if you rebound and he, that was the first time I'd ever heard a screen and roll. He taught me that. Of course I never got the ball. The person I screamed for always, (laughs) always went in and shot it, but that was okay. And, uh, so I fell in love with the game and just the relationships and the experiences of it. And then, so I go into high school and I'm, I'm really behind a lot of kids. And, uh, so I try out, I I try out in ninth grade and, uh, actually made the team, but I wound up quitting. A friend of mine got cut and I kind of felt a little bit of loyalty to him because I felt like, man, here's this kid who's been playing all along and he got cut and, so one of the biggest mistakes I made, I quit, and uh, I went back out, I think, my senior year. And uh, by then, I was kind of behind everybody, so uh got cut. But I never, as as far as, like, just loving the game of basketball, I, I've never stopped loving it. I always felt like, I mean, it's been one of the greatest assets in my life. I mean, I continue, I play it three days a week now uh, until uh, the virus hit. But, uh, so the development for my life has just been based around, you know, playing in the neighborhood, uh, playing basketball, starting in eighth grade. And then, uh, as I got out of high school, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. I said, man, I want to coach basketball. And so went to the local rec department and started coaching and I coached, I think for two years there and, uh. You know, then I started hearing about travel basketball. It it wasn't kind of the monster that it is now, necessarily. Uh, Matter of fact, I think the only teams back then were in Atlanta. So I started a girls' travel team in Oconee, and we weren't – I mean, we we just had kids in Oconee, so we weren't very good when we went to tournaments, and I wasn't a very good coach either. I mean, I didn't really – you know, I, I wanted to coach. There wasn't all the resources as far as internet. You couldn't text other coaches like you can now to ask. There's not. There wasn't video other than watching TV. Uh, kind of limited in how you could grow back then. But uh, so I started doing that, and uh, you know, later on in that, I met a guy that was real instrumental uh, in my development, a guy named Rodney Satterfield, who's actually a football coach, and uh, he had taking a, I think, offensive coordinator job at North Oconee. It had just opened up. And so he moves here and he's got three daughters and uh, he's going to be the varsity basketball coach as well. So, uh, you know, I tell him I'm kind of dabbling in travel basketball and he wants his daughter to uh, to play for me. And uh, he just totally invests in me, teaches me so much about how to run a practice, how to manage a game. Uh you know, I still do, there's there's plays and things that I still do today that I learned from him, uh, and that's been probably 20-something years ago. But from there, I kind of realized that, you know, hey, this is something I really want to do. And so it, at that time, I, I hadn't really went to college or anything. I was just, you know, kind of felt like college was for people who grew up in you know, they had a, they had their real dad and and they, you know, I just had these kind of things I had blanketed on what college looked like. And, uh, so then I said, man, I gotta go back. I gotta go to college. And so, uh, enrolled in college and started taking classes. Uh, and then while all this is going on, I'm still coaching. And one thing happened was, uh, his kids were in, I think fifth and sixth grade. And so what winds up happening is we stopped the travel ball, like, in the summer because it was spring, the summer back then. And uh, I said, you know, the parents were like, man, I wish we could keep going. And, you know, it kind of hits me. I said, well, maybe these fifth and sixth graders, I can call some local private schools and, and they'll probably want to play us, you know, because our kids are fifth and sixth and their kids will be, you know, sixth through eighth." you know, they'll make, they'll probably think it's an easy win and we can kind of get on their schedule to either scrimmage or play them. And uh, just about every middle school I called was like, yeah, yeah, we'd love to get another game. And uh, so ironically, though, the the team was made up of Athens Academy and North of, kids that were zoned for North Oconee. And mm-hmm. uh, we were very competitive. Like we were, <laughs> I mean, we were only getting beat by five or six points. Some of the teams we were actually beaten and uh so you know around the community people started talking about the program and uh that's actually how I got hired at Prince we had played their middle school twice and beat them and uh the varsity girls coach over there at the time coach Looney she said man you do a really good job with these kids I you know would you be interested in coaching my middle school team and before that happened you know that was not even something on my radar and uh you know, I said, yeah, I would love to uh, sit down and talk with you about it. And she sets up a meeting with me and her and the uh, AD coach Ricketts. And, you know, the rest is kind of history as far as, you know, I start coaching there. And uh, from there, that opens a lot of (laughs) doors. It opens a lot of doors for me because now I've got kind of a base as far as like, you know, I've got a gym where I can have these programs and develop these programs and you know, they don't only develop the Prince kids they were developing kids all over the Northeast Georgia, which I often thought, you know, if if you have a program and you're the only good program, it's going to be really hard for you to get any better. You really need other programs to be good too, so that your kids can get better Mm -hmm. and you can become a better coach. You know, if you're beating everybody by 40, it just, uh, I, I know it's fun to some coaches, but it's really fun when it's good competition and you're winning and so from there i took that fifth and sixth grade program and called it the northeast georgia feeder league and started advertising it hey we're going to have this league you know we want the kids that you think are going to probably play middle and high school ball put them on a team together for whatever school they're zoned for and so you know, the first year or two there was a lot of critics. People saying, I don't know if this is, you know, this is gonna compete with rec league and, you know, whatever town the school's in and that really wasn't what I was trying to do because I think there's a place for rec league, but also think there's a place for kids who wanna play at a higher level and they don't want to you know, in, in rec league I think you generally you have blocks or something where kids have to play a certain amount of time and uh you know, I was looking more for something Uh, where you really didn't have that. You you know, if you wanted to play your best player the whole time, you could do that. And so, you know, from there, that takes off. Uh, First two years, we had, I think, eight girls' teams. And, you know, now we're 50-something teams in it. Uh, We've got kids who, you know, I see seniors – go to college and get a scholarship you know uh ansley hall just uh she's yeah. gonna see tech Maggie mm-hmm. campbell's going to anderson college uh julia peroni's going to shorter uh it, it's kind of now what brooke satterfield uh she played at valdosta i mean now it's where you see in these kids who played in it who are getting scholarships and you feel like Uh, not that the league deserves the credit, but that it's a foundation for kids who want to play at a high level. They get to play against other kids from other schools or areas that also want to play at a high level. So that started taking off. And then around that time uh, uh, there was a kid named Ty Anderson who was playing basketball in Oconee and uh, his grandfather was Lefty Dryzel. So he was, okay Uh, a a big time (laughs) you know he had a lot of basketball in his family his dad David Anderson was a huge friend of mine and uh so I got with him he was fixing to be a preferred walk-on at Georgia Tech and I said man we ought to start a basketball camp and he said you know I've got some ideas and so you know I was like yeah this is great you've got the ideas and I coach and you you're fixing to go play college and I've got a lot of access to email addresses and contacts through my feeder league and uh so we partnered together and had what we call the Leap Basketball Academy for I think it was probably three or four years and then he graduates college and he's kinda of going into some other areas and and I just absolutely loved the basketball camp but I wanted to take it in some other directions like I felt like everybody could sell the basketball part of it. You know, that's, it's not hard to really, I don't think there's any secret drills. So, you know, I think everybody can sell the basketball part of camps. It doesn't take, you know, you can get on the internet and find camps all day. But what I wanted to sell was bringing people in in the community that had been through, you know, stories of faith where, Hey, you know, I went through this and and this is how I overcame, you know? So, from that I started MVP school of basketball camp and we have a starting out, we only had one week and it was co-ed and there was, you know, probably 30 kids there, 15 boys, 15 girls. And, uh, just developed it over time. You know, we have a different guest speaker every day. Uh, I use kids who have played in the feeder league or played on local high school teams as counselors, uh, have awards at the end, which I know everybody has awards, but we always tie our awards into the speakers. So, you know, somebody who, you know, let's say they came and talked about passion as being something that they had to have to overcome adversity. We may give away on Friday a passion award and we'll have that speaker come back and present it. And, uh, so I, I wanted a basketball camp that was successful, but also wanted it to sell something other than just basketball. Because I feel like if, at the end of the day, if all they're getting out of what you do is just the sport you'd coach, then you're really kind of missing the relationship and experience that you can kind of expand upon.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, and Mike, I got to tell you, I have ki- kids that are in my program, as you know, that go to your camps and they, they just rave about what you're doing over there. And I've studied a lot about what you're doing. Um, And I try to utilize a lot of your things over at the camps that I do out here. I I just, the coaches out there in that area, they should have a statute for you for what you're doing for all the kids in that area, because um, the feeder program is used to development of those varsity programs where that's Prince Avenue or that's Athens Academy. I mean, you're doing a great job, man. I just, I just want to um, just praise you on what you're doing out there.
1: Yeah, it, uh, I don't think it really set into to me until I uh, a, got a phone call one day from a coach named Brian Olson, coaches at Athens Academy. Yeah, I know Brian. just a uh, great guy, you know. Man. But, you know, they're kind of our rival in, in many sports. And,
0: uh, you know, it
1: just kind of left me dumbfounded. He called me one day and he said, man, I just got to tell you, all I've got kids doing just all kind of stuff that you're doing, whether it's camp or playing in the feeder league. And he's like, man, you just are an ambassador for basketball in this area. And I'm so thankful because I have all these kids who are actively doing these things, and they're coming up and playing uh, varsity basketball for me. And I think, you know, when I got that phone call, it, it was kind of like, man, this is uh, this is really touching some people because – it's one thing if somebody, you know, you got a parent within your program that says, "Hey, this is this is good. I'm thankful for this." But when you got a coach from from maybe a, a program that's would be considered your rival, you know, then you kind of take a step back and say, uh, "Wow, I, I, I am got a uh, an arm here that's touching a lot of kids." But it certainly has been a labor of love, and uh, you know, just the relationships and the experiences. Uh, I mean, I I just thank God for basketball. I mean, it it really, I feel like, save and directed my life, you you know, as somebody in middle and high school, and then it's done the same thing when I was uh, in other phases of my life. So, you know, I just hope to kind of expand that with any any program, whether it's feeder league, whether it's all middle school, all-star games, whatever. Uh, I just want people to see, you know, reflection of somebody who, Loves basketball, I, not just coaches it. Because I think there's a lot of people who coach it. I mean, you got schools who they may not have access to anybody that really wants to coach it. So they just grab a teacher and say, "Hey, here's a stipend." That person may not love the the game, they may not love the coaching. But I feel like for me, that I've truly, you know, it, it's just it's a labor of love, and I feel like everything I've invested in it. Uh, the game has always given back to me. So uh, just hoping to kind of leave it, leave it better than I found it. And, uh, but as far as like expanding into youth sports though, I, I really feel like, and I didn't necessarily feel like this and understand this at the beginning, but once I started seeing kids go to high school and, you know, play together. And I'm like, man, that kid played in my league or man, that team right there when they were in sixth grade played in my league, they were undefeated then. And now they're winning region. You know, I started feeling like lower school is the grassroots for middle school. Middle school is the grassroots for high school. And it's, it's all connected. And I think the coaches who are the most successful at the high school level understand that, Hey, this is all connected. Like if you're waiting for kids to get in high school to say they're going to be lady warriors or lady Titans or lady Spartans or lady Wolverines, it's too late. You need to really be telling them in third grade, Hey, you sticking that Jersey on, you are a lady warrior. You are a lady Wolverine. You're whatever the school is. You want to be telling them that in third grade so that third through eighth grade, that's what they are. They're a part of your program, <laughs> not just when they get in high school, or even for me, lower school. I'm telling them in PE, you know, I'm watching them play basketball or whatever. Hey, you're a you're a lady Wolverine. You're not gonna play for me till you get to seventh grade, but you're a lady. So you're already planting those seeds where you know they they feel like they're already a part of that program. They want to come watch your games. They. Uh, they want to. They put that jersey on. They got a little bit of pride to it. It's not just uh, wait until they're in high school to be a part of the program. And I think you save kids that way. I think kids who there's probably two or three who that might not even been on their radar, but it it feels good to hear that, and so they wind up you know signing up for basketball or staying with it. So uh, that's kind of, and I think that transcends not just basketball, but every sport, you know, softball, volleyball, whatever, telling those young kids at a young age, you know, hey, you're a Lady Wolverine.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I, I want to ask you a controversial question because uh, i you and I have been coaching. This is my going to be my 30th year. I'm getting old, man. Um so I've been coaching a while. So I have a lot of perspectives on things. Uh um, that's why I think I could really connect with you, Mike, because you're a you're an elementary PE teacher. So um Why don't, and I think it's, you just said it. Why don't more schools, I nowadays the trend is if you apply for a job, they're looking, okay, you got to go special ed. You have to work in the high school. To me, that's backwards. I think they should try to really get TE teachers, especially to get into the lower levels. I know they want them on the high school. The impact that I I have with my K-5 I'm gonna have connections with these kids from kindergarten. Up. They know me, so to me, it's a great recruiting tool. It's a great connection tool. But I see so many areas where, you know, hey, you got to go special ed, or you got to go, you got to work in the high school and PE or whatever. Man, you got to, you got to put, you got to put your really your head coaches down at the lower levels. That's my belief, and take it for whatever it is. What, what's your opinion on that?
1: Ah, man, I don't want to step on any toes there, but <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, I think there's probably each case is going to be different, especially, you know, for you and me, we're in the same building K through 12, we are. Alavarco, yes. you know, and yes. I think that is, I mean, I don't know that I would want that any other way. I think that's just tremendous. Like for me, I coach varsity cross country, middle school basketball. I've coached varsity soccer in the past, uh, Teaching lower school PE, I'm able to get to any of my players and see my players and speak to my players uh, eight hours a day. Right. I mean, the other thing is those lower school kids they see the interactions that I have with those older kids. So you're developing uh, a system there. That's I mean, that's a whole other topic. But I I think sometimes uh, it it's hard as far as logistics go, you know, if you have a, you hire a varsity football coach, obviously that guy's going to want to be, if you know, you're coaching somewhere at like Archer where you got multiple elementary schools feeding into the middle school and middle schools feeding into the high school, you know, they're going to want to be on site where their athletes at. So uh, it would be hard to speak from it being a way to do it. I think at a bigger public school, right. know, I think I the smaller, Public schools and the private schools, obviously, uh, and I think it's an advantage for them to to be able to touch all of those. But you know, I I think lower school PE would kind of scare some people away because you can't just, you know, I think it's easier if you got high school kids or middle school kids to roll the ball out there and say, "Hey, you guys, sure, uh, you guys play uh, pick up mm-hmm. basketball." I'm going to be studying film or i'm going to be doing this where you know lower school i I, safety issues you can't you got to watch kids like a hawk i mean uh you can't for me i'm constantly counting mine over and over my (laughs) biggest biggest fear is one of them slip off to the bathroom and you got a lockdown or something so i think for me you know you can't really just sit in a chair and watch your kids play, you got to have something planned every day. And I, I just – I don't – a lot of times the higher-level coaches, man, they need time for breaking down film, making practice plans, uh, you know, and I don't think you can get that with the lower kids. I just think their weight – and I'm no disrespect to older kids, but I think older kids have a little bit of autonomy where they can take care of themselves – where the younger kids they can't and it just becomes a safety issue if you're not uh on top of them yeah so i i I think the coaches (laughs) you know if they if they have a choice they're probably going to want to take older kids all day you know because you can teach
0: hey this is nba skills coach drew hanlon of pure sweat basketball and i'd love to help you get game results this season Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today.
1: Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Teach them in weightlifting and uh, team sports. You you can go out there and teach them how to play softball, and you don't necessarily have to be uh, on top of them, so to speak, for that 50 minutes, you know, as they – get going. You can say, Hey, get in your teams. You're going to play softball for the next couple of weeks. You're going to play volleyball. I mean, obviously you're going to teach them things, but uh, I think there's more flexibility in teaching the older kids on maybe multitasking versus the younger kids. You can't, I I just don't feel like you can do that. I don't, I I don't think you can take, now I'd have to see somebody do it to uh, make me believe it, but I don't think you can take, first grade kids outside and say, okay, you guys pick your teams. You're going to play wiffle ball today. <laughs> and I'm going to no. be sitting over here drawing up some plays or, or uh, making a practice plan. I mean, I just don't think that's uh, something that would be one, safe to, you wouldn't be a very successful teacher. And uh, I don't know that your kids would, <laughs> would enjoy coming to pee like that. So, uh, so that, that's kind of why I think you don't see as many, uh, Coaches, you know, jump at the opportunity to teach lower school.
0: Yeah. I mean, those are, I mean, those are all great points, coach. And I, um, I do feel like the lower school, um, I consider, and I, and I know you do too, you're a teacher first. Now, I love basketball and I have a passion for coaching basketball, but I'm hired as a teacher first. And I'm not sure if that's common in a lot of coaches, but I think that's really important. I think that can, um, you know, I, I just love being involved with K-5. And, man, you got a plan. You have to have a structured class. And I'm, I'm going to pick your brain on some of the things that you do. But um, I think it all it's all based on the individual. I, th- I think you're exactly right. I want to talk to you about your middle school program because a lot of – we talk a lot about varsity programs. We don't talk enough on the podcast about feeder development. Uh You gave me your top five of your program strengths, talking about really – Number one, talking about well-rounded kids and teaching them more than basketball. Tell us about your top five program strengths at your program, because you've had a lot of success there at Prince Avenue, man.
1: I think when I started doing this, I felt like I was only going to do it for a good time, not a long time. Like, hey, I want to get in here. I want to learn something. (laughs) I want to... Uh, You know, I had goals to be – I want to be the winningest varsity girls basketball coach ever. You know, I had all these kind of goals that were me-oriented. And uh, I think God had other plans. Man, I really – I fell in love with uh, middle school girls basketball. And and I didn't really think – again, I was in it for just a good time, not a long time. But you start developing these relationships, and it's almost – you know, middle school, especially the private school, because RAD has always let me. Uh, you know, there's been some years where I said, "Hey, can I have these fifth graders as managers, and then they'll help me at practice, but also practice." So, when you start getting an arm on kids, and and you got it fifth through eighth grade, it kind of mirrors, or it's like an earlier foundation of high school, ninth through twelfth. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so all of a sudden I've got these kids as fifth graders. And then, you know, your eighth graders move up and it's like, sometimes you say, well, I'm going to go out with this eighth grade group, but you've developed these relationships with these fifth grade kids or these sixth grade kids. And you're like, man, I can't wait to coach this group or they tell you they can't wait to play for you as an eighth grader. And, uh, so I, I kind of just fell in love with it and, uh, and didn't want to leave it, and so, and the other thing is the winning, I, I'm, you know, I'm a competitive person, and uh, I'm watching these Michael Jordan documentaries, and <laughs> feeling like I, I, I uh, see a side of myself in Michael Jordan, I, I, mm-hmm. I like to compete too, and, uh, you know, you're winning, and it's fun, and then all of a sudden our league developed a championship, and it was kind of a, uh, it kind of mirrored really region championships. You're playing people that eventually your kids are going to play at the varsity level. And so, uh, you know, it just became, it just became like a passion. I was like, man, this is fantastic. You have these kids at the middle school level who, you know, some of them don't necessarily have a ton of basketball knowledge or ability. And by the time they leave after they've played with you for three or four years, they go up and you see them make like, huge impacts at the varsity level. It's just like, man, I can remember when that person was a, you know, really when you get out there and tryouts, you, you got a piece of coal or you got a diamond, somebody that's super athletic, they make every shot, or you got a piece of coal, somebody that you got to really work with. And by the time that person leaves, maybe that piece of coal is a diamond. And so uh, just giving the take of that, man, was just uh, like, man, this is – one of the best jobs in the world. But uh, as far as our kind of the, the strengths of our program, I, I really think the first strengths uh, is that we're not just trying to make them good at basketball. We're trying to make them good in other areas. You know, I tell the girls I coach all the time, you know, you're being groomed in practicing and in games for the two hardest jobs you're ever going to have, being a mom, being a wife. Those jobs are tough because – you don't really have a, I'm going to call in sick today. I mean, you got to get up and do them even when you right. don't feel good. And so, you know, trying to tell the kids, you know, you're going to one day maybe you got to go to work and you don't feel good. Or maybe uh, you're going through a family member. that has got an illness. You know, you got to get up and keep moving forward. And so the big thing I've always thought, and and, and I just, took this a little bit out out of the way we did our camps is I try to bring in speakers every now and then that will talk to the kids about going through adversity because I think that's something that everybody faces it doesn't matter if you're rich poor black or white you're going to go through adversity of some kind and uh so I've tried to bring in speakers uh I make our kids do devotions at the end or the beginning of practice and uh so like when I give out their the calendar of hey, this is the schedule calendar for the season. Every date has a kid's name on it, and they know that's the day that they're going to give their devotion. And they're not supposed to be 30 minutes long. I tell them, you know, take three or four minutes, and you're going to start us off at practice. by. And, I, you know, they can give a Bible verse. They can tell a story of something they're going through. Uh, they can tell about a book they've been reading, you know, something that will, you know, kind of get us motivated or, Uh, give us some uh, something to get us through the practice or tie up the practice where we're thinking about a bigger picture not just putting a ball in a basket uh, that many of them aren't going to do after middle or high school probably so uh, we do that this year and last year something that I've, I've I can probably do better than most coaches because I have access to the kids because we're all in one building. Is I've had seniors from different sports come in on game days. We would have morning devotions where the kids would get there. Our school starts about 8:10. They'd get there at 7:30, and we'd have parents, you know, somebody would bring in some biscuits or whatever. And uh, I'd have an athlete, what it was a senior volleyball player, football, whatever, come in and just speak a little bit about lessons, you know, one or two lessons that they had learned uh, through their time in playing high school sports at Prince. And I, I, I really, some of those kids just absolutely hit it out of the park. And I mean, it was just very, uh, you could just see the kids sitting there, their minds turning going, Oh man, that guy went through that or that girl went through that and I'm going through that. I mean, so, uh, I generally just try to think outside of the box, you know, how can we do things like that so that when the kids leave, they feel like, you know, they grew as a basketball player, but they also grew as a person. Uh, About once a month, we'll sit down. I'll make them write letters to, uh, or ask them uh, to write letters. Sometimes we get, we write them to mom saying, Hey, thank you for, you know, all that you do for me. I know I don't, Say this enough, or, or dad, or a favorite teacher, or some you know, uh, a teammate. I think that's kind of a lost art writing a handwritten letter and sticking <laughs> it in the mail. And somebody, yeah, the, the very first day we did it, uh, I, I remember me and my assistant coach had to go around and show them how to address an envelope because they, <laughs> yeah, didn't, uh, we assume, like, right? We
0: assume, them, right? Back, they know, they, yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> like. I'm like man, y'all don't know how to put it. So so that was was an interesting lesson. But I I think that's probably the first strength. I I know that's not a basketball strength, but uh, I think it really just develops a lot of unity. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things, this is kind of going backwards, but as I was growing up, uh, I would say I've probably had more football people that I've looked up to and patterned my basketball coaching around and I have uh basketball coaches necessarily I know that sounds weird but I remember my grandfather he uh he used to he had a van company called Eagle Van and he uh donated money to Clark Central High School so we in the '80s, we used to every Friday night. That's where I would be. You know, I went to Coney, but I didn't grow up watching many of their football games. Where my friend, my classmates were at on Friday nights, I was with my grandfather at uh, Clark Central, and uh, they had a coach, Billy Harrison. Yeah. and I was enamored by. You know, they always won. They were so good, and uh, I, I remember growing up just thinking, "Man, this guy here's this older white male." Who can get in the huddle with you know? There's uh, white kids, African American kids. There's tall. Sh- he could just get in that huddle, <clears throat> and I don't know what he said, but he could make everybody believe that they could win, and they just played so hard for him. And uh, I I've, that's always kind of inspired me. You know, how can you touch people that maybe they don't necessarily look like you, or they don't have the same background as you, or uh, so I, I think for me I would say that first strength is just the fact that we try to help the kids grow in areas other than basketball so that as they get into other phases of their life they've learned some lessons that they can apply, you know, outside of making free throws or uh the importance of not turning the ball over or you know, whatnot.
0: Yeah. Um and that's that that's key because I think you're you're teaching them more than basketball, and that I think that's neglected a little bit at many levels. I think winning a lot of times comes before a lot of stuff, and it really should be probably almost lower on the priority because wins will happen, right, coach? If you if you do the oh, right, right things, yeah. the process, which you are doing the right things. I want you to talk about uh, some of your other strengths, and I really love um, how your your second strength is. Um, a player system. I think that's how you phrased it. Transition, basically playing a fun type of basketball. Explain that.
1: Well, uh, when I got to Prince, I remember first practice we had, you know, it was like kids wanted breaks all the time. Anytime they did good in a drill, you know, they, I'm, I'm one, like if you win, you stay on. And, uh, some of those kids were like, if you win, you should get to rest. And, (laughs) uh, so, you know, I went back and had looked at some of their scores from the year before. And, you know, Coach Looney had told me, you know, we, there were some games only scored four points. And uh, I really wanted the system or the way we were going to play to not really look like middle school private girls basketball. I, I didn't want the scores to be 24 to 19. I, I wanted us to be like, my goal was how can we score, you know, 50 points a game in 24 minutes. And so, and I think that's fun for the kids when they're running up and down and, and, you know, they see points on the scoreboard. And uh, so I really wanted it. And I think even in high school, you would always see for the girls' basketball games, there would be parents there and some students, but then you get this big crowd for the boys. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, how do we, how do we change this where it's exciting, uh, not for parents just to come watch because it's their kid, but I mean they're excited, man. I mean they, and so and I still play a lot of basketball, and and I wanted, I'm like, man, I want what I teach to almost look like a formal style of pickup ball where, you know, kids can be a little bit creative on their own. Hey, we, if we can defend and rebound and get the ball out, Hey, you can attack the basket without setting up a play and you can attack, attack it in whatever method you want without me saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. As long as you can get the ball in the basket. And so uh, one thing that I did was I said, you know, we're going to try to score a lot of points. And if we don't, that's fine. But I want to run up and down and kind of let athletes be athletes at the end of the day and not micromanage it. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me. I have ADD, so it's hard for me. I think that's probably what makes me a good lower school PE teacher, but it's hard for me to memorize a hundred plays. So it it takes a lot off my plate. (laughs) If we can score a lot in transition and, for me to not have to memorize a lot of stuff and and to teach a lot of stuff. And so I think in the past, and I'm going to say a lot of the winning we've done hadn't been because of the system. It's been more because we've had good players, but I think being able to put kids in the right spots and put them in a system that will allow their athletic ability to flourish is much better than You know, if I say, hey, let's walk the ball up, let's, uh, we're going to get this shot for Susie. I mean, man, we push the ball up the floor. I I tell them, I mean, the first open three, I want y'all to shoot it. I mean, I want threes and layups. And that's not, I know some people will say, man, the the game has changed. I don't like it. We don't, there's no mid range, there's no post players with their back to the baskets. Uh, it's not that I don't necessarily like that stuff, but, but I think, the players enjoy running the ball up and down. You know, I think they enjoy, and I think the fans enjoy seeing a game that's, you know, 50 to 44 versus seeing a game that's 24 to 19. When I first started officiating high school basketball, I remember all the people that were training me would say, man, be ready to get a lot of middle school girls games. And those things are terrible, you know, and uh, it just had a stigma to it. Yeah. And so in co- in coaching, I'm like, man, I don't want anybody showing up that, you know, feels like they're going to be watching paint dry. I-, I want them to show up and say, man, that was just like doing a varsity boys game. And so I've tried to make our system As fun as it could be, uh, but also want the kids to know that they got to work hard as well. And so uh, we do a lot of work on conditioning. Uh, We shoot a lot, obviously, if you're going to be if you're going to be shooting in transition, if you're going to try to get to 40 or 50 points, you're going to have to make you're going to have to make shots. And so uh, so we obviously shoot a ton in practice and uh but we don't work as much on mid-range stuff as we do threes and layups which i've always said layups win girls basketball i mean whoever it generally at the end of the game it's not who made the most free throws what i've seen from girls basketball it, it's the team that has made the most layups that generally always wins
0: yeah mike let me ask you um because we probably, of course, we got to play you guys two times next year. And you got all those middle school girls coming up, man. I'm worried, man. Lady Titans are worried, man. We got to play you guys twice. <laughs> so, I don't know. Now, we like the run and gun, too, a little bit. so But it should be a fun game. Uh, but at the middle school level, man, it's tough. It, I don't have too many kids at the middle school level yet that can shoot threes. All my my top shooters at the varsity level right now. But um, how are you you developing shooters over there at Prince at your level?
1: Well, one of the things I do is I tell them, you know, I I live very close to the school, and I say, if you ever want to come up here and shoot, I will come up here and shoot with you. And during the season, I will uh, generally on Sunday nights from 6 to 7, I'll open the gym and, you know, it's kind of – I'm not going to put them through any drills, but it's just open and available – for those that want to come in and get shots up, and we have kids uh, that will come in and and you know they want to get 500 shots up in an hour. Uh, I've periodically, and I'll do this probably four times a year, uh, off season, preseason, and twice during the season. I'll give the kids a chart that says 10,000 shot challenge, and I'll tell them, "Hey, I want you to work on getting 10,000 shots up." during the first part of the season and you bring me this chart and I want to take a look at it and just kind of see what shots you're working on, how many you shot, how much time you spent on it. Uh, And you're not going to get, you know, some kids are playing basketball just to keep them busy to get to travel volleyball season or travel softball season or whatever it is they're going to do in the spring, maybe it's soccer. So you're not going to get everybody that does that, but but you're going to get probably four or five that are going to do that. And when you, think about four or five kids getting up 10,000 shots each that's 50,000 yeah. shots you're adding to your program so i and I, I also gave that out when we started this uh coronavirus i gave that out to the kids Hey, this is something you can do. Uh, nobody really knew how long this was going to, to to be going on, but I gave that out to my kids in in lower school PE, and I will send it out to the kids who sign up to play basketball in the boys and girls feeder league, uh, just as a way to motivate them. Hey, get out there and get shots up. If you want to be a good shooter, I mean that that's there, there's no easy ways to become a good shooter. You got to put the time into shooting, and sometimes I feel like. Mechanics are super important, but I've seen kids who become shoot good shooters shooting incorrectly because they've put the amount of time into it. And so I, I just don't think there's any shortcut for the amount of time you gotta put into practicing shooting. And there's just no no two ways about it. You gotta get out there and shoot. Now, I want my kids shooting correctly, no doubt about that. But also you know, if I'm not going to be there to critique them and they're just outside shooting, man, I'm happy with that. And that's – I'm going to uh, give them a pat on the back. But I think giving them those opportunities and encouraging things like that and even just encouraging them to come to camp. So, like, when they come to our camp, I know uh, we're going to work on shooting. When they come to – I you know, I do several things throughout the year. we got a thing called training for tryout we do in the early fall Uh we got a thing called the Drew League. So I, I'm always trying to get stuff in front of them that are basketball-oriented. So some of it is more shooting-specific, and some of it's just getting a ball in their hand and they may get some shots up. But uh, And then, obviously, in practice, uh, not saying defense is not important. We do work on defense, but we spend probably the first – 30 to 45 minutes of practice working on shooting. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're standing by a goal shooting with one hand. I mean, a lot of it's going to be stuff that I feel like will be game like situations. Uh, but I, I feel like that's, you know, that's what we do. I mean, I just give them a lot of, offer them a lot of stuff, whether it's, uh, me getting in the gym and, and setting up the gun and putting them through some drills or, uh, yeah, I've also got a uh a shooting pamphlet that I developed that I send them out that's got a lot of pictures in there, talk, you know, talks about follow through and shooting in rhythm and being in your range cuz some of them you can put them through drills and they they don't necessarily understand it, but if you put it in black and white in front of them, they're like, "Oh, okay, I understand it right. now." And for me for me, I'm I'm the total opposite. I always wondered why I struggled in classrooms. You know, black and white doesn't necessarily do it for me, but if I do it physically in a drill, I'm like, oh, I understand this now. And so I would say for us, that's just been why, you know, some of it's just been luck. We've had people who really worked on their craft, and if they weren't very good at something like shooting, that they put the time into it and become good shooters. Uh, But I've also tried to offer a lot of stuff where, you know, if you're getting up shots, eventually you're going to become a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you, Yeah, you and I are very similar because we um, – I run a lot of, of – matter of fact, we're on our um, – I call it my uh, my Get Better program right now. I want to send it to you, have you take a look at it and see what we can add to it. But, um, hey, now during this time, this is part of your culture at your school. Now during the pandemic, this is where – you have to spend a lot of time on your own, like the old days, like what you and I had to do uh, in your driveways whatever. So what are you doing now during this pandemic to keep your uh, your kids sharp?
1: Yeah, actually, I have kind of mm-hmm. backed off because, uh, one, I, this is just so new to everybody. I, I wasn't sure kind of obviously and i don't want to take anything away from public schools because i you know i graduated from a public school but obviously private schools a lot of times the rigor of the academics yeah. is very strenuous so uh i haven't put anything on anybody because i just wasn't sure where everybody would be from an academic standpoint right. and uh and i know that's something that uh our school certainly uh you know that's where you want the kids putting their focus right now is is Uh, finishing off whatever grade they're in uh, in the best possible manner during this circumstance. So I haven't really, other than putting out, uh, and I think I really just put it out for the lower school kids that are fixing to come up in the middle school to do the uh, 10,000 shot challenge, I haven't really put – a t- and what's ironic is when this thing hit, I thought two weeks at the max, and we would be because I was in the middle of a program uh, just started called Drew League, and it was really taking off. And uh, I said, "Well, two weeks, we'll we'll shut down," and and then of course, uh, you know, it's hasn't let up. So, you know, I hadn't real, and I and I think maybe this is probably a good bit of downtime for some of them because i'm sure you have the the same problem we do our kids are pulled in two or three different directions because they're playing multiple at at a private school uh, you're gonna always be asked to play a fall sport a winter sport and probably a spring sport so uh, our kids and then you throw on the academic part of it you know it's just a lot so uh so the thing i've been doing which i hope helps out any coach any kid i coach is I've been listening to podcasts and trying to sharpen my own trade. You know, where where can I get better? Where have I not been very good in the past? Uh, trying to develop some different programs or maybe, hey, did this program work as good as this program? So I've been doing a lot of that, but I haven't. Uh, and I, I just started uh, yesterday, started training a kid. Uh, but I haven't really, as far as giving people much, stuff to do I have I've kind of backed off of that just because I didn't want to put any pressure and the other thing you don't know is for these kids what families are facing economic uh catastrophes you know maybe they're small business owners and and they're not really sure kind of what the future holds so so I haven't given any anything out for for kids to work on and I know that's probably uh, goes against the grain for for most people but uh I think That's in looking back, I I probably would still do the same thing. I just, I think there's just too many uncertainties to know, uh, you know, if a family's going through a hardship, generally they're not going to advertise it. You know, Hey, we're worried about our business. We, we haven't been able to open it. We're laying people. They're not going to advertise that. So I, I just think there's too much stuff uh, going on. That's uncertain. And so I hadn't, hadn't really given kids anything to work on, but hopefully, the one thing I know is these kids have, nowadays, they have access to YouTube. And, and uh, if you don't want to get better in the times we live in, it's a choice because there is no shortage of uh, drills and podcasts and YouTube videos. And I, I mean, it, it's all out there. You would just have to not want to. Uh, Yeah, if
0: you can't get information now, you're just not doing anything. Which sometimes it's good to kind of get away. Uh, And I know the successful coaches, right, Mike? um, They're trying to learn. I know all the good coaches that I know, man. They're out here. I mean they're they're trying to pick up resources. They're trying to get better, just like the players are. Uh, And the players can sense that, right? If you're trying to get better, hey, tell me about your practices. I always ask every coach, um, and I want to know. how you number one, um, what's your practice structure plan that you have? And also, how much prep time do you put in the planning practice? And I think I don't think people realize that we all have two jobs and you know, we, we have to prepare all the time for our you know PE and our and our basketball practices, which take up time. You just don't put one together quickly. Give, it, give me a little sample of what you do.
1: Well, during the like early part of the season, like October, November, when we really hadn't played anybody or maybe we're just going to play a scrimmage or something, I mean, our practices are just chalked full of fundamentals. I, I very seldom will we really go over any kind of sets or anything. It's just two hours of fundamentals. Now, there's not – One thing I've learned, especially being at Prince Avenue, because we don't have – we have one gym and and the varsity is going to – both of those teams are going to get two hours each. So we have to rent a facility off-site that uh, we rotate. So the girls will go there one week, and then the next week the girls will be at the school. And so when we're at the school, we have an hour in the gym and then we have an hour in our outside pavilion – and when we're off-site, we go about 345 to 515. So you can't really have any <laughs> wasted minutes. Like, you, you've you got to make – and that's one thing. So if you are at our school, if you were going to be successful, you can't just wing it and walk in with a plan in your head. You, You have to. So my manager – uh I, I've they got a clock. Hey, I want you to tell me when this is when this goes off and boom, we're into the next thing. And uh that is probably one place I struggle because uh I'll say, Man, I want to really spend about two more minutes here. But then I've got stuff on my I come in with a sheet of paper. I'm I'm gonna give it to my assistant coach Bailey Rogers, and I'm gonna say, This is what we're doing today, this is what the focus is, uh, this is what the word of the day is uh we our kids gonna go over to devotion and then boom we're right into it. And uh as far as structure, uh when you say structured you mean like so like when we get in there, we get our kids kind of stretched out. Right. about the first five minutes. And then we're we're kinda okay. right into shooting. And uh now, now and they're not stationary shooting. That we do a drill called Tennessee shooting that I saw Pat Summit do where uh we got Three lines on each side of the floor, and we're running up and down, getting game shots. Almost, I think if you practice a lot of half court sets, but you're trying to score in transition, you.
0: Hey, this is NBA Skills Coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at PureSweatBasketball.com.
1: This is Matthew Smith with United Basketball Clinics. I want to let you know about the 4th Annual Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic the last weekend of August, August 28th and 29th. Right now we've secured Chris Oliver of Basketball Immersion to, to speak all Friday night. He's going to give three to four sessions on topics that will challenge us as coaches and leaders. I look forward to seeing you there. We will update you as soon as we secure other speakers for Saturday. Please follow at Coach M.W. Smith on Twitter, and our website is unitedbasketballclinics.com. Kind of working backwards. So I want our practices looking like what our, what our games right. are going to look like for us, offensively and defensively. So for us, we're we're shooting a lot on the move, whether they have the ball in their hands or not. So – uh, and that generally is going to be the first part of our practice. Lots of shooting. Uh, then we go into layups. and then We spend probably 30 minutes on layups, which I know people would say, well, man, that's kind of uh, – that's a real basic fundamental drill. And uh, I, I just – you can teach kids to steal the ball and play tough defense and be in the right spot. But at the end of the day, I think basketball is one sport where – if you can outscore your opponent you can generally win and so the last thing i in a in a in a scheme where you're trying to score 40 or 50 points you can't have a lot sure. of missed layups at the end of the game you got to have made layups and so we spend a ton of time on that probably the one thing we don't spend a lot of time on that i wish we spent a lot more time on is free throws uh but we just i mean it's hard yeah. to carve out you know what? Are what are you going to take away? You, you're going to take away from rebounding. Well, that for us to transition, we got to be great at rebounding, so we got to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, for us to be able to press, we got to be able to make baskets, so we got to spend time on you know making layups. Uh, so when I'm when I'm marking our practice plan down, I'm always kind of thinking of the things I want to be great at. I want us to be really good on defense because you got to be able to stop people then I want us to be great at rebounding because I want us to be able to transition and I don't want other teams to get second and third shots and then transitions, the big thing. So those three things always kind of dominate our practice schedules, defense, rebounding and transition. Uh, you know, we day before a game or something, then we kind of start going over our sets. And again, we don't have a ton of sets, but uh, we'll kind of go over those. Uh we do a lot of small-sided games, which is kind of, I, I guess, my P.E. blending in there a little bit. But uh, I like a lot of three-on-three stuff. I think that is the best. You, you can have five-on-five where kids are going at each other, and there's probably two or three kids that are getting lost. They're not touching the ball. They're not shooting the ball. They're not really getting involved in rebounding. Uh, I think when you break things down and teach them in practice – so three on three, two on two. Uh I think you wind up seeing kids get more touches. They're more involved and they get better that way. Uh matter of fact, towards the end of our season this year, uh we started about the first six minutes of every practice playing one on one. We had six goals and we would have uh you know I would kind of divide up who was playing who so that they, the games would be competitive, but uh wanted the ball in their hand, and I wanted the kids working on attacking the rim with a defender on them and uh you know some of it some of it's about the basketball skill and some of it's walking around seeing you know you're you're getting towards the end of your season who still has that competitive drive in them uh who who do you need to motivate a little bit more so uh but I don't. We. I never come into practice kind of with a plan in my head. I try sure. to always have it written down. Uh, one of the things that I always try to do that I learned from our boys' coach, Will Cantrell. Uh, I've never seen them do a practice without running the clock. So when I have access to the clock, I don't use a manager with a with a phone or a watch. Uh, we got the clock going, and uh, we try not to lose any time. And so. We might be in the middle of something and it may seem important. Boom, we're going with what I got on paper because we got stuff that uh, we got to get to. And I generally will make my practice plans out for the week. And then uh, if I need to change anything, I'll do that. But I, th- I find the best coaches are the ones who are super organized as far as like their practice plans. They don't They don't just wing anything. They don't say, hey, I got rebounding written down here. Uh, what's a good rebounding drill? I mean, they they already have uh, their drills and every and their points that they're going to emphasize. They already have that stuff mapped out, and uh, that that's one thing I feel like uh, myself and my assistant coach Bailey Rogers, who played for me at Prince, I feel like uh, we do a very good job on what our practices are going. Yeah, look I mean, like. you said
0: it. I mean, it's organization and so forth. You got to have a good. It sounds like you have a
1: feel. So, I guess
0: what you're saying, Mike, is if you're organized, then you can make adjustments after each practice for the next one. So, and I, I think you can't just wing it and come in, well, let me see. You got to have a plan ahead. And I think when you're more playing, I think you can make better adjustments per practice, right?
1: Yeah. I think anytime, like thinking back, I mean, when I was an early coach, you know, I don't. Th- back then I don't even know if printers were around yeah. I mean that's 20 something years ago but uh you know back then I could just come in and kind of have my plan in my head but I just you know just like anything you grow you, you know I, I what listen to your podcast I've been to back when uh, I think you probably are the only one that does the clinics anymore, right. but I remember Gene Durden used to do one, and you go up there and listen to college coaches and high school coaches talk, man, and you just – you kind of figure out – you're trying to have your own footprint, but you're also trying to figure out what works. And, uh, you know, I, I figured out really quick, uh, you know, being organized it was going to be to my advantage. And uh, that's, that's one reason why, like, it's that – Probably my pet peeve is attendance. I give our I give our kids a, a contract to sign. Probably, really, in any sport I've coached, cross country, basketball, but uh, I always say the three most important things on there uh, all start with a letter A. So you ought to be able to memorize it. You're academics, because you're a student athlete. So if you're not taking care of things in the classroom, you know you're not even going to be able to play. Your your attendance and your attitude and I, I can even deal with somebody having a bad attitude if their attendance is very good. And so, uh, that always sets me off though. When, you know, you've got a practice plan and it's designed for, you know, I've got my teams kind of drawn up on what we're going to do, who's going to guard who. And then, you know, you got a couple of kids who, you know, can't be there. And sometimes those are legitimate things. And sometimes it's like, I'm not sure you couldn't have made practice work, but, uh, yeah, I think that and, and that just goes for me, that's just a pet peeve. I you know, I want everything to be organized and I don't really like a lot of change to the practice plan and uh so I, I if I was giving a young coach, you know, hey, what's the best advice, I'd say hey, you gotta be organized, man. Like <laughs> you don't wanna show up to a game and, and not know you know what your opponent's going to try to do. You know it, it's hard to practice things at halftime or draw things up at halftime. I mean, you got to kind of be ready for uh, surprises. Uh, you know, maybe you've seen them play man the whole time, and they throw in a little bit of zone that you're not ready for. Uh, I just feel like being organized is just a key component to having a good program, and that, that's in any. Sport, yeah, I think if way, I
0: had really. any advice for coaches, it's it's time you got. to Craft man, uh, you got our time and ability, and you can't. Before, great time. To, uh, take it. But by now, tell me about oh, definitely AAU situation now because I have. Uh, we were very fortunate. I have two of your. Uh, Kenzie Stevens and uh, Hannah, my two uh, two little starting guards, play for you out there. And uh, uh Lily Dominey, the Dominies love you, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, she comes to all your camps and everything. And oh, she's growing as a player. So, but I know that what you've done with those kids, uh, I feel very appreciative of you working with those kids. Hey, do you think we will be? Uh, having any summer ball this year what's your idea I don't see it happening but what do you project
1: uh selfishly I'm really hoping that that we do have it and uh but obviously just like in teaching lower school PE safety is always the number one thing I mean you want you want the kids to come to you and go back to the parents in the way they came to you and so you know if yeah. it's safety's not going to be guaranteed then i mean we're not going to have it but uh in my perfect pie in the sky type world i'm I'm, and i was a little bit uh excited to see yesterday that ghsa said uh you know not that we were going to have anything but that
0: uh right they were right. hoping
1: for maybe a june 1st return yeah. and uh i, I think a lot of coaches would be I don't think there's gonna be anything in May, but uh, you know, if we we could get this thing, uh, that curve to head downward significantly, uh, and obviously people would put safety precautions in place. I mean, I would love to see kids be able to get yeah, I, I think the longer it goes with kids not having sports, I, I think that's also something that uh obviously I'm not going to say that's deadly, but I think, uh, right. Yeah. There's a lot of kids who need that family atmosphere. They may not, they may not get that a lot. Not, not every kid is coming from a home where they have a mom and a dad and everything is just, uh, hunky dory. Some of them, you know, the most love they get is when they're they're with their coach and their, their, uh, their team, which kind of takes on the role of their family. So, uh, and, you know, I've read a lot of things that said there's some kids depend on going to school right. for getting lunches and breakfast. So, you know, I, I think, uh, there are some circumstances where it's detrimental that kids are away from those teams. And, uh, I just don't think everybody now I, I'm not saying, you know, one weighs more than the other, obviously, uh, I certainly think the coronavirus is a terrible thing and we got to certainly take safety precautions but uh I do think there's a need for kids to get out and be active and uh you know be be with their friends and their their what I call families you know they it's an extension of of their families their teams so man I'm really really hoping that uh you know around June that uh We'll, we'll maybe get some sense of, of normalcy uh, if there is a way for us to go back to normalcy that we'll get some sense of that back and, and you'll start to see I think a lot of it will be over the next couple weeks seeing what businesses do as they reopen and are people going to be uh, safe going and getting haircuts and going out to eat and stuff like that I, I think if you were to see any kind of spike upward uh, that would probably nix out the summer but I think if, as those things open, if you were to see, uh, you know, everything leveling downward, that there would probably be some serious talks about how to proceed with the summer. But uh, I could certainly see right now, people saying, yeah, there, there's not going to be anything in the summer, but uh, I, I, again, yeah. man, this is just, <laughs> this, this is living history. I mean, just like when I saw nine eleven or, or, when I was a young child right. and uh, saw the Challenger living, uh, blow yeah. up, I mean, it, we're we're in living history right now. I mean, nobody's nobody's ever been through this, so uh, I'm just praying for our leaders to make uh, good decisions. And uh, but I'm also praying for us to be able to get back to to sports and school because I certainly think those are
0: you know um, it's funny how um, things that we all I mean do. it just proves the theory that. Uh, I think there's a lot of positives, right? I mean, it, I think it's connected us more. Uh, but, man, it's funny how sports are so important in the world culture, how everybody kind of criticizes sports and we carry it too far. Man, it's important. It's the only thing in life sometimes that is authentic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and like you said, and you do a great job, is your family. You have a family atmosphere, and a lot of kids need that. Um, so, I mean, you you said some great points. Mike, my, my last question is this. I know you've been watching The Last Dance. I see all your Facebook posts, man. Um, and I want you to give me your feedback because I think there's a lot to learn about this documentary, man, that we as coaches and players can utilize with our team. What are you learning from this uh, Last Dance
1: documentary? I think not from a literal standpoint when I say this, but from a more of a figurative standpoint. And and this obviously would range from different levels because NBA, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, those those are the ultimate. Those are the high levels. Uh, You know, I think you get to a certain point and it's compete or die. And and again, I say that figuratively, not literally, but – You know, sometimes the mentality of kids you coach, whether they're middle school, lower school, uh, obviously now if you're coaching in a rec department, I mean, that's – computer dies, not going to work there. But, you know, I think if a kid comes to you and they're like, you know, hey, I really want to play college basketball and and I want these next four years of my high school career to be uh, years that kind of put me on the plateau of heading that direction – You know, I think it's hard to kind of make them understand the mentality of being competitively mature, I guess would be the word I'm I'm looking for. Uh, Hey, if you want to go play in college, man, you got to get up at 5 a.m. You're going to have to go lift weights or run. You're going to have to eat healthy, which means not drinking sodas and sugary drinks. Uh, You're not going to have like a ton of free time. And I think sometimes it's hard to get kids to understand like what real competitiveness looks like, you know, Hey, I want you to coach me, but I don't want you to coach me hard. Well, you probably aren't going to be playing in college. Uh, I mean, you, I'm watching that documentary going, man, Jordan was on a different level of competitiveness, which is what made him the goat. I mean,
0: when I was growing
1: up watching him play, and he was my favorite player, I mean, it was just like, oh man, this guy's so good at putting the ball in the basket. But when I'm watching that documentary, I'm like, uh, I just love the things that are, you know, behind the scenes. You're, you're, re- you know, like, I would have never guessed he went to Dennis Rodman's <laughs> hotel and they banged yeah. on the door. Hey, Dennis, where you at? Taking him to, yeah. I, I mean, that, great that, stories. Just, yeah. Great stories. I mean, yeah. the stories on there are, they're, they're great stories and i just think it really you know I don't know the kids nowadays obviously because they didn't watch jordan but uh and i think there are kids that, that are especially the athletes that are great athletes uh you know but i think there are some kids who say i want to be competitive but they're really marginal in how competitive in their nature of it you know, I, I'm watching this going, man, competitive, just got a different definition. And uh, so that's one thing I've learned on there. As far as uh, coaching, man, I'm watching that thing going, man, Phil Jackson might be the greatest coach ever. I mean, the way he took, you know, he's right. got Dennis Rodman and he's kind of navigating that. He he let him
0: have <laughs> exactly. his,
1: his uh, vacation, I think, is what Dennis called it. Uh, he let him have his vacation, so he – He's navigating that. He's he's coaching arguably the greatest player to ever play any sport in Michael Jordan, uh, which would put a big monkey on your back if you can't win with him. And uh, you know he's also navigating a guy who really doesn't want him coaching there. And he's got you know probably the greatest number two player in Scottie Pippen, who's not being paid fairly or accurately. I mean, you're looking at all these things he's navigating, and he's winning consistently at such a high level it's just like man phil jackson was an incredible coach i mean more so than i think he's ever got credit for and and i don't you know obviously he won with the lakers he won with the bulls so people would say no he gets credit i think a lot of that credit people always defer. well he had Shaq, he had kobe he had jordan he had pippen i don't think they realize all yeah i
0: totally agree and i think mike tell me about this is uh, I don't think uh, – Jerry Krause is no longer with us. He passed away. But I'm telling you, I think the whole documentary is about Jerry Krause. He's the one that it came down between his ego and the Bulls, and and, and really he let his ego – he broke up a team that – how who knows how many more championships they could have won. And this guy actually did a great job building the Bulls, but he also dismantled them. I think the whole movie is about Krause. What do you think?
1: <laughs> I, man, I tell you what, it's a doc. It's a documentary, but I almost think you could make a just like a movie for the movie theaters out of this. Man, I, I mean, he he's a great. I mean, I'm watching it going. I never really. Obviously, I was enamored with George and other aspects. He's a big time villain. It going, man, this guy's kind <laughs> of a villain. Like, he's definitely, he's definitely taking on the uh, the bad guy in this. And, and you know, I'm watching it also going, why would a guy not want to? They probably, in my mind, they probably win two more if they, you know, if they're a lot more valuing to Phil Jackson who that would have made Jordan. I think so. I mean, I think they had probably two more championships in them if they – It's just, I I tell you, it's amazing, though, to watch stuff like this and say, man, I did not know all this was going on. And and we watch a lot of these teams, uh, you know, just like Kevin Durant leaving Golden State. I I was kind of like, man, they probably got three more championships with the Splash Brothers, and why would he leave? I mean, you just – you never know what's going on, man. You really don't. And uh, I think that's one of the things that makes sports so fun, man. I mean, it's just – it parallels what life is. I mean, you just never know what people are going through. And, uh, it, yeah, it, it's – I tell you, it's an incredible series. I find myself – somebody told me the other day, they said, there's a way you can watch all of them <laughs> at the same time. And I said, I don't even want to know. I said, I love – tuning in every Sunday at nine o'clock and watching that for two hours. I mean, it's been, uh it's been something else, man. I, I certainly was very disheartened though, when I found out cause I really liked Pippen better than Jordan when I was watching all, all the games back in the nineties. And so when I found out like kind of his background and his family was super poor and he, he had to, he, he kind of felt like he had to take that uh contract and, Gosh, man, I just can't believe – I mean, he gave all he had to that organization, and uh, you never would have – like, I never – that was the first time I heard of any of that when I watched it uh, on the documentary. So, uh, it's just amazing that they – Yeah,
0: I, I will actually, I think it's going to kind of spur some more documentaries uh, on teams because it's good to get inside these organizations and find out what they do um mike i tell you, i really appreciate you joining me man it's it's been great you're part of the uh championship vision family now man so
1: I... <laughs> oh man i well i've got big shoes to fill then, because man the the diversity and, the, and man i tell you i uh, uh one of my favorite series okay. that, uh, that i listen <laughs> to is what you did on the buzz i I used that the first time I'd ever heard of that was, uh, went to coach Durden's clinic. I think it was. Yeah. Roy Heinz, Yeah. He had a guy out there named uh, Roy Heinz. and, uh, he introduced that and, and he's showing it. And, uh, that would have been, let's see, Maggie Campbell, Ansley Hall. Like, I think that would have been their seventh grade year. Yeah. Cause we had a kid named Madison Britt, Janie Hint. like we, we were, we were just flat out loaded. And, uh, and all I had ever played really was man-to-man and every I'd mix in some zone coming out of timeouts and different things. But uh, <laughs> I was like, man, this is a great defense to throw at people because I had never seen it before. And so I started researching it. Uh, yeah, Mike uh, DeVelvis. trying to think of yeah. that. Coach of Illinois, Mike. Uh, yeah, Mike DeVelvis. I bought I, a championship productions. I went on there and bought his uh, – his videos that I've studying it. And, uh, I tell, I, so I, I still use that now. Right. I've heard some people call it buzz and some people call it twilight zone. And, uh, I tell you what I, when you had those guys, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is <laughs> so I'm, I, you know, it's, it's an honor to, uh, to sit here and share with you, man. I appreciate all you do, especially, you know, giving these resources to, uh, to coaches like myself and, and, uh, you know, the diversity of how you have coaches from all over, uh, to me is what's just so valuable because there's no way I would know what a coach out in Oregon's doing or a coach in Texas or a coach in New York, you know, it just gives so much access to how people are doing things and what's working and not working and, and struggles that I may have here in Georgia that a guy in, you know, Wyoming also has. So it's, uh, certainly a blessing to be able to listen to your podcast and uh, can't wait to uh, see you again. Hopefully this stuff will uh, – sure you, <laughs> Yeah, we go
0: out – uh, like you like know, we you got know. we have uh, some guest passes to Harbor Club and things like that. You know, a few advantages to living out here. But, um, yeah, there's plenty of golf out here. I've been playing a lot of golf. My game's not getting any better, Mike. My... It's getting worse. <laughs>
1: man there's a lot of good golf courses around uh this area and i've i've got a ton of my friends play and i've i've played two or three times and i'm so terrible at it that i just i'm like i cannot <laughs> i gotta i gotta get some training or something i'm just something, something yeah just doesn't play with me on it like it. well
0: I, I really appreciate been, you coming on like, and i um i think i've learned a lot i know um, you're giving back to the community out there. So many things you're doing for all—not just Prince Avenue, but all the schools out there, all the youth you're dealing with. So I know you're doing a great job. Again, they got to have a Coach Palmer statue eventually, man, for all the help you're providing all these guys. But thanks again for coming on. How can we get a hold of
1: you? Oh, uh, I could. Uh, I've got a website, MVP School of Sports uh and m v p school of sports at gmail dot an email i' more than welcome to email me uh or 9003 is my cell phone number i i love texting back and forth with coaches about you know what they're doing and you know what I could maybe do that they're doing or if they want me to share something with them but uh coach and also that, we're running our uh, if we if they there. let us
0: back in June I have my team camp I'm running so I just want to keep that in mind if you guys um you know want to bring come out here and you know I have my middle school team my varsity teams but well, I don't know if they're going to still allow us to do it but I want to make sure you know that um so
1: I want to get out there and watch one of your practices. I know you had told me back in the winter, I could do that. And I could never make, make the days work, but if they do it in the summer and you guys practice, I might could could come out there and uh, watch a practice and maybe make it.
0: (laughs) Talk about a great golfer, man. Kip could absolutely just knock the heck out of it. Um, But I would love to have you come out. And of course, I'd probably have you run the practice. I think we'd be much better. Um, yeah, I mean, I say, hey, I'm going to have Coach Palmer running. You guys, you know, I'll sit here. Um, <laughs> Coach, thanks again, man. I appreciate you taking it. I know it's a long time. Uh, we took a long time here, but it was definitely worth it. Thanks again for coming on. All right, take
1: care. All right, my pleasure. Thanks.
0: Bye. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis, with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, this is NBA Skills Coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.